turn it off. Has it ever occurred to you that I was doing this for you? By ending the war, I set you free from the guilt and pain you carry because of it. Not by it. Worth a try. You really are nothing like my Giorgio, are you? No. And I never have been. She's dead, Michael. There are no second chances. No, I suppose not. I do like you. Why not join me? The bomb is in position. We have the detonator. Starfleet and Klingon alike will be at our mercy. I had much the same thought. Give it to me. Take your freedom in exchange for the detonator. Or try to escape my ship and its crew and be hunted by the Federation for the rest of your days. <laughs> you think your Federation scares me? Not particularly. But the only way you're gonna get past me is to kill me. So you'll have to watch me die again. And did I mention being hunted for the rest of your days? Welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show, your place for a detailed analysis of each episode of Star Trek Discovery. Now here are your hosts, Sean Ray and Rick Tatro. Hello everyone and welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. My name is Sean Ray and when I pee I make two streams. Oh my goodness. <laughs> right out of the gate. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight we're going to be talking about the 15th and final episode of the first season of Star Trek Discovery, which was titled Will You Take My Hand and was directed by Akiva Goldsman. Uh, joining me tonight is my co-host Rick, who is taking a break from huffing volcano fumes. How are you, sir? Impressive. Did you just swear at me? <laughs> Actually, I just said it is a good day to die. Uh. I've been practicing and that all night, and it's been scaring the animals. I, yeah, I saw you. I saw you post <laughs> that you were scaring the animals with your Klingon. <laughs> uh, and uh, my cosmic potato co-host and the host of Captain Game Show, John Irons. How are you, sir? Um, I'm relieved that I didn't get a weird intro. I'm great. <laughs> and friend of the show, Mr. Scott Madison. How's it going? Uh, it's going very well, and. We are Starfleet. Yes, we are. <laughs> we are Starfleet. I have something <laughs> I want to share with the show before we start. And I made this, but I listened to it before the show, and it's really corny. So you guys are going to be laughing at me, but I'm going to play it anyway because I made it. So hold on just a second. Let me pull it up. This After starting about two streams, I don't want to hear you pulling up just about anything. No, no, right no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> All right, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, here's tonight's top ten. <laughs> the 
These are the top 10 thoughts Gabriel Lorca had as he fell into the mycelial energy ball. Number 10. Meh. I should have made that last left turn at the Alpha Quadrant. Number 9. Communicator selfie or it didn't happen. Number 8. Those last two episodes are going to suck without me. Number seven. Hmm. I'd have thought Burnham would have been the one sending me to a fiery death. Number six. Next stop, special guest on the Orville. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, these are the top ten thoughts that Gabriel Lorca had as he fell into the mycelial energy ball. Number five. I shouldn't have worn the red undershirt. Number four. Oh, shit. <laughs> Number three. Today's fortune cookie was total bullcrap. Number two. Apparate, apparate, apparate. And ladies and gentlemen, the number one thought that Gabriel Lorca had is he fell into the mycelial energy ball. Leroy <laughs> Number one was worth it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So before we start, uh, okay, so, um, all right, Isik, for your thoughts, uh, let's take a minute here and at the top of the show and, and give our overall uh, rating. You can give a thumbs up, thumbs down, score grade, whatever. What did you think in general? Rick? Two-thirds of a limp noodle, but the end was so freaking worth it. I'm just over, over the top with joy. Okay. I thought that the end of the war was kind of, eh. It was it was very much a Star Trek ending, uh, and and that's not necessarily a good thing. But damn, <laughs> damn, <laughs> and damn the way they finished it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, Scott, what did you think? Uh, I I enjoyed it. Uh, everything that we saw in the episode, um, I felt was right in line with what they've been giving us. Um, some of the things we we could see coming, it wasn't chock full of surprises. Most of the surprises took the form of Easter eggs, um, which is okay with me. Um, but I I did find myself, for the most part, satisfied. I think that the biggest problem comes from me and not from the episode, because I have known television episodes uh, and uh, season and series finales in particular that have uh really and truly affected me and i always want every finale to have that same effect on me and with this series i want every episode to have that effect on me because it's star trek <laughs> so when i get to a season finale that does not completely blow my mind and leave me slack-jawed 
I I can't tell if I'm actually feeling disappointed or if my standards are just too high. Um, now that having been said, the final scene of the episode, I got goosebumps and I was already having been spoiled on it thanks to Twitter and my <laughs> my idiocy for actually opening Twitter before watching the show. Yes, can I can I address people on Twitter and Facebook and the internets and the Instagrams and, and all that stuff. You guys, I know you're excited about the, about the show. You do, People do it for The Walking Dead, too. You're excited about every new episode and all of that. But when you watch it, there's people in other time zones that have not seen it yet. You know, like the, the our, our listeners in the UK don't get the show until Monday. So if people go on Facebook on Sunday night and start... Uh, ruining things, then, you know, they're not going to get the surprise that you got, you know. So I know some people do it on purpose because they just don't care. I really think a lot of people do it, don't even think about that. They think that everybody's watching the show at the same time that they are. But in 2018, that's just not the way it is. So, uh, yeah, we need to we need to uh, get better with that. <laughs> Stop well, being patak. <laughs> there, are, there are plenty of fans out there who are going to view it as if you're a true fan, you're watching it right now as it airs like I am. And if you're not watching it right now, then you don't deserve to have uh, the good stuff preserved. That's those, those are douchebags, though. See, that, that's... Oh, I agree. <laughs> I, I agree completely. But then you've got we've got a lot of listeners to this podcast in the UK that don't have that option unless they're watching it illegally, you know. So mm-hmm. if, if they're going to watch it on Netflix, which is what's available to them over there, they have to wait until Monday, you know. So if we're over here putting out spoilers on Facebook and Twitter and they see all that, then they don't get the same enjoyment out of the show that we got, and that's that's not fair. But do you think that the people who are that high in their fandom that think the truest fans watch it now and everyone else uh, can just go spit. Are, are they really thinking with a global lens about time zones in other countries not having it at the same time? No. Yeah, they, they think the United States is a planet of its own. So, <laughs> I, I, I repeat, douchebags. Right. <laughs> yep. John, what do you think? It's good. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll, I'll, I'll offer more when it's time for my little uh, wrap up review. I watched the episode twice. The first time I watched it, now I'm not including the ending because the, the, the last scene of the show was awesome, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes when we get into our spoiler section. But um, the rest of the episode... The first time I watched it, I thought it was kind of a middle-of-the-road episode. I thought that it was a very interesting episode. I liked the episode, but I didn't like it as a season finale because it just it, suddenly everything felt so different. You know, they, they were off the ship. They were doing something on this dark, uh, dingy street, and they were wearing different clothes. It was a completely different feel for a first season finale. Now, if it had been a third or fourth season finale, it'd be different, but you would think they want their first season finale to have the same feel as the rest of the season. But but like I said, I, I really did like the episode, and the second time I, I watched it, I liked it even more. You know, So that was just my feelings the first time that I saw it. 
it felt a lot like a DS9 episode, actually. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, or on Next Gen when they would go on those covert missions and everybody would wear black <laughs> and all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it felt kind of like that. Um, but yeah, we'll get we'll get into all that in a minute. John, go ahead with your uh, uh, plot summary and then we'll get into our spoiler section. Alright. The title of this episode says it all. Will you take my hand? Will you join me down this path? Most of the characters in Sunday's episodes invite and or are invited by someone to take their hand and stand with them. Uh, Emperor Giorgio offers her hand to the Federation, take the Terran path. Burnham offers a hand to Giorgio, play nice in our universe. Giorgio in turn offers one to Burnham, I like you, come join me. The Federation offered, offers one to Laurel, let's make a deal or else. Laurel <laughs> offers one to the Klingon Empire, let's make a deal or else. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by finally using the word daughter, Sarek offers one to Burnham. And the fate of the whole Federation hinged on whether or not it would take Burnham's hand and follow her on the journey this season, uh, uh, follow her on her journey this season back from the brink and embrace the ideals that she initially betrayed. The only major instance where no hand was offered was one of the most momentous. Tyler tells Burnham he's leaving and doesn't invite her to come with him because both of them knew that this was the path that he had to travel alone if you don't count Laurel. This was a good season finale and an effective clothes hanger. Wrapping up the war, wrapping up the Vox story, and Burnham being a, and wrapping up Burnham being a pariah, and at the end offering a taste of things to come. Overall, I was really happy with this incarnation of Star Trek, and you can rest assured that when it returns to season two, yes, I will metaphorically take its hand. By which I mean. I'll reactivate my CBS All Access account because I'm going to cancel it tomorrow. <laughs> Word. I, I canceled. I actually canceled mine a couple weeks ago because it was coming up to uh, time to time to pay the bill, and uh, <laughs> and I I only had one episode left, so I went ahead and canceled CBS and I activated CBS on Amazon because they give you a three day trial. Ah. <laughs> So I watched the I watched the last episode on my three day trial and then canceled it today. There's nothing else on there that I care about watching. So yeah. there there are things that I would like to watch. They just for whatever reason they aren't on there. There are other yeah. CBS shows that I would want to watch. Yeah. But I've I think I went off on this on like episode two or three. So <laughs> yeah, well that's that's CBS's only blunder in all this because I've been you know I've been defending. I think we all kind of have been defending CBS for finally taking the step into the internet and, and uh, realizing that the days of broadcast television are numbered and, but they, they still, they, they just don't get it because they have given us no incentives whatsoever to not cancel. And I'm sure they're going to see a huge drop off in subscriptions over the next year or so, however long it takes to, to get the show going. And someone's got to, you know, it's got to, someone's got to realize why. Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. I would have yeah. thought at some by now there would have been some hey, you know if not a it'll cost you more to re up which I could easily see them doing too, uh, but you know no 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 carrot whatsoever not no carrot no stick just hey they like us they're watching Star Trek oh boss Star Trek's almost over I'll bet you a thousand million people are gonna <laughs> unsubscribe no they love us watch plummet. <laughs> 
Yeah, and you would have thought when they made these announcements that the show was going to be coming and they were going to launch this network and everything, that they would have put more more new shows in the in the in the pipe coming down. But this was the only big one coming down. The other one is like a spinoff of The Good Wife and uh, some comedy that I don't even remember the name of. And then just CBS's regular programming and their classic programming and stuff like that. So See, even even that would be fine if they offered more of it. Like again, there are there are good CBS shows that just aren't there. Person of interest isn't there. Yeah. Um, elementary isn't there. They, I can I can I can watch a little special clip about yeah, hundredth episode is coming up, but they don't have any of the hundred episodes. Like what what are you doing? What? If they put up their entire back catalog, then that would be a big step in the right direction. It would, um, especially if you called CBS All Access. Yeah, exactly. And if you have more uh, original series that are All Access exclusives, that's another step in the right direction. But you got to make sure that those new original series are going to bring in viewers. Now, their their subscription numbers had to have gone straight up. With the uh, with the launch and even the impending launch of Star Trek Discovery, and just from from the rumbling that you could hear before Discovery premiered, that told them we are going to get a huge spike in our numbers. Someone had to have at least floated the idea in the CBS boardroom. You know, if we greenlight a spinoff right now, then we can keep these people. If we treat it like Disney is treating Star Wars, we'll finish this season of Discovery and then give them a premiere season of a new Star Trek show to fill in the gaps and just kind of trade off, alternate back and forth. If they find a way to keep Star Trek running, especially new Star Trek running as often as possible, that's going to maximize their chances of keeping their subscription numbers up. Well, it doesn't even have to be Star Trek. I mean, I, I didn't watch The Good Wife and I don't ever intend to. It doesn't appeal <laughs> to me at all. And I am not alone as, you know, the Star Trek watching uh, uh, audience, probably there's, you know, a percentage of them that would like a show like that. But there's a lot of us that don't give a crap about realistic television. We want escapist fare. I don't care if they have Star Trek year round. You know, I'd rather have a, you know, like they're doing now where we get, one really good series every other year or so. I'm cool with that, but give me something else to pique my interest. Mm-hmm. And it's not the yeah. Big Bang Theory anymore. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Young Sheldon. No. <laughs> 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 All right, let's dig into the episode a little bit. First, the first thing I wrote on my notes was Laurel says previously on Star Trek Discovery in Klingon. I was, was amazed. Yeah, that was strange, but it was that, well, it was interesting that they did that. Oh, Nobody's I didn't even notice that. that. I didn't even notice that. I thought it was incredibly clever. I I found myself wondering if they meant for it to have some type of significance to use that in the season finale and not in, you know, any of the 13 previous episodes that would have had that, that little tag at the beginning. But regardless, regardless, I, I thought it was a neat touch. Yeah. Yeah. It's just all, you know, I'm seeing tons of talk about the Easter eggs and this and that and the other thing. Nobody's talking about that. And when I rewatched the episode tonight, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are a ton of Easter eggs in this in this episode, and some of them I either missed or didn't get. So as we go through it, you guys throw out 
you know, stuff that you saw in that scene that harkens back to, uh, to old Trek. But, uh, but as the story starts, the Klingons are bearing down on Earth at the same time that the Discovery is bearing down on Kronos. That effect that they had where the satellite passed over Earth and then it was Kronos, that was kind of a cool effect. I like that. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, so if the crew, if the bridge crew did not realize that the Emperor was not their Georgiou, they got to realize that something is up when she starts saying the Klingons are animals and they don't have homes <laughs> and all of that. Yeah. You know, they're giving her some sideways glances and things like that. And they're like, so what is up with her? She's different than she was 18 months ago. Yeah, well, she, that, was, that's kind she of was not a... trying as hard as, as Lorca did to, to fit into the prime <laughs> right. universe. The, the thing that gets me about this whole thing is this entire crew just spent however long they were there. We We really don't know. Um, but as far as anyone from the Prime Universe knows, they've just spent almost a year in this mirror universe. They know there are doubles. There's no need for this subterfuge at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, the the Admiral could have just given them an order. Hey, we're uh, she's got she's she's got this, and you do what she says. You know, yeah. and there's Starfleet officers. They do what they're told. You know. <laughs> but uh, okay. So the only scene that After Trek gave us last week was right here in the teaser. So it was the scene where Michael goes over and kind of talks to Saru for a second, and then she's told to get back in her place. And then, and then uh, Giorgio starts making uh, jokes at Saru about you know how tough he is. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, and he's like, "No, I you know I can be unpalatable and 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 that kind of thing." When she gets thrown back to her. In a couple, a couple of scenes later, we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, go ahead. Was somebody going to say something? No. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought somebody started to talk. Um, okay, so Michael's trying to get Giorgio to trip up and and out herself to the crew. You know, asking her questions about where she's from and things like that. But, I mean, technically she's from the same place that Giorgio is from, right? I mean, they're from the same country. Probably. Maybe. But even, but even if she wasn't, that... I found that uncharacteristically dumb. Yeah, there was no there was no point to this gambit. Even if she proved that she's not her, then what? Then what? Well, it, like, it seemed she, to me. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. Another, she commits another mutiny, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't I, I, like the only way I can kind of explain it is she just really didn't think it through but again that's uncharacteristic of burnham too like well, even if she really. does something even if she does something reckless there's she there's kind of a reason for it and Except, there's no there's no reason like i mean aside from she doesn't want you know Giorgio to be in charge there's like what's your end game what are you what are you hoping will happen because it's not it's not like she tricked it's not like she pretended. It's not. It's not like she pulled a Lorca. The Starfleet knows who she is. So what are you? Where are you trying to go with this? Yeah, I, I think she was just trying to teach a lesson with that. Really, um, it it did not occur to me for a moment that her plan was actually to get everyone on the bridge to realize, oh, that's who this really is. No, she knew that everything she asked, um, Philippa would have an answer to, and she would make it fly. What she was doing by asking those questions was saying, if you're going to tease Mr. Saru like that, watch yourself because 
you're not the only person that can antagonize other people on the sly. Uh, I think yeah, I think she I, she, I she was giving she was giving Philippa what Philippa was dishing out to Saru, and she she was dishing it back, saying, "What? Watch your mouth. You play nice, and and we'll play nice." Yeah, and I think she was also kind of it was it was a a little bit of a threat that hey, you know, toe the line, do what you're supposed to do, or I'm going to tell everybody. Of course, Jojo doesn't care. <laughs> she doesn't. Yeah. And uh, well, there's I mean, it, it, about... it almost seemed like a tantrum. Like a, I, I don't know. I no, don't know. I think. It, it, I think you. Go ahead. You're right, John, because a big part of this season has been the fact, and and I don't I don't want to say people keep forgetting about it, but um, a lot a lot of what we've seen this season is Burnham learning how to be an emotional being she's never been allowed to be before she's never allowed herself to be before and every time she lets her emotions take over things go badly for her and i think this was just kind of maybe the last little uh ripple in the pond of her making bad decisions based on emotion yeah okay well the 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 plan is to send a drone down to the Klingon homeworld. And uh, what exactly is the drone looking for once it gets down there? Military. Yeah. Well, they go to talk to Laurel to get her to tell them a good place to send the drone. And, of course, Laurel's not wanting to cooperate. And she ma- and then she so makes... I, 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 I'll tell you where to send your drone. Yeah. <laughs> 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 She sent. She makes the joke to uh, Giorgio about uh, the Klingons eating eating her, and you see that look that that Giorgio got her got on her face. She was a little bit taken aback by that, and she said, "You've got the wrong Giorgio or whatever." And he's like, "Well, whoever you are, you're in need of some seasoning." <laughs> you know. Yeah. So she's getting back what she just gave out to Saru just a few minutes ago. But um, but yeah, they uh, Laurel doesn't want to play nice, and Giorgio just got beats the holy crap out of her. And it doesn't phase her, really. I mean, she just kind of laughs at her. I thought she was going to kill Rel in that scene. But well, I was I was watching the second time I watched it. Uh, I was paying special attention to Burnham because you know eventually Burnham stops it. Uh, but for a while there, Burnham seemed perfectly fine to let the let the Emperor just kick Rel's ass for a while. Yeah, I don't I don't think she was fine with it, but I think she. she she, she she still she technically she's her commanding officer. And well, she, but also remember, Laurel was the one who did everything to Tyler. I don't I don't know how much that factored into it. Ironically, I didn't that didn't even occur to me until you just said that. I mean, you, you're right, of course, but I I think it would have been the same if it was any Klingon prisoner. Well, remember how when. Uh, Burnham realized that the tardigrade was being was being put in pain by driving the ship, yeah. and we we talked about it on the show about all the face acting that Sonequa Mountain Green was doing, the anguish and the pain and the and and the the frustration that she was showing. There was none of that on Burnham's face during the beginning of the Emperor's uh, beatdown on Laurel. It wasn't until it looked like the Emperor was actually going to kill her that Burnham finally went, all right, all right, all right, stop it. I got another idea. Uh, 
I would I would disagree, but uh, me. <laughs> I mean, I, I I do think that I saw that that conflict on her face, but well, I don't know if it's ne- if it's all because of what she had done to Ash, or just because she's Klingon and she has she has a prejudice against Klingons uh, because of what happened to her parents, which we get into a little bit later in the show. But um, I think it was a little bit of both, you know, yeah. because, because of who that particular Klingon is and the fact that she's Klingon at all, you know, probably played into that. So. And she had to know that some of that was coming. I mean, if you have Giorgio uh, conducting an interrogation, you know someone's going right. to get punched in the face. Especially some not point. human. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She she had to know that there was going to be some violence in the interrogation. But at when the point came that she lost her stomach for it is when she pulled the plug. Yeah. Well, plan B is to go to Ash since he still has all of Vox memories conveniently. And he shows them he shows them the entrance to an ancient temple that would make a good place to send a drone, but they'll have to take it down there on foot. So now, um, there was an Easter egg on the on the globe. Okay. I I, I stopped just short of freeze framing the the uh, the, the, the Klingon globe because I didn't want to get too into the weeds there. But one of the locations on Kronos was Kang's summit. Oh, okay. I saw that. <laughs> cool. Um, I have a... <sighs> Crap, I just lost it. Give me a second. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, 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 it wasn't you. Um, oh, did... Did Burnham... You said you noticed like a, a change in Burnham's face during the quote-unquote interrogation. Yeah. Was this before or after Laurel turned to her and said, like, you, you've already lost, basically? You, it was it was right, uh, yeah. It was right around that time, yeah. Okay. It was right oh, after the, the the emperor did like the drop kick on Lorel on the back of Lorel's head, and she yeah. just rolled over and laughed. Curb stomp. That's yeah. when I thought she, yeah. That's when I thought she was going to kill her. I thought she was curb stomping her, and she was yeah. going to kill her. You know, I, was like, I think well, she did actually curb stomp. I think just Klingons are tough. Klingons yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can take can take that once or twice. In, in another situation, that would have been foreplay. <laughs> true <laughs> uh, so, so Tilly is summoned Giorgio intimidates her makes it clear that she's not her Giorgio uh, Tilly, <laughs> Tilly gives her that little salute <laughs> that little <laughs> chest bump salute and then Mike, Michael says don't do that don't, don't do that <laughs> yeah. uh, I, so. I was telling Rick earlier this afternoon that I thought that was the funniest moment of the episode that yeah, was hilarious <laughs> yeah yeah, and Tilly, said, was, Tilly was great in this, as always. I loved her. What is happening? <laughs> they said on After Trek that she's had like nine different hairstyles in these 15 episodes or something like that. So, yeah, yeah. I have noticed her Her hair gets bigger and then, it, and then it gets pulled back and then it's huge again. And, yeah. and Well, that's her real hair. Oh, yeah. When, yeah, it's, when it's big. <laughs> uh, so they put on their game faces and they put on their street clothes and they go down to the surface. And they all yeah. look good in leather. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I did like the moment when they're walking uh, through the ship, going to the transporter room, that um, Tilly kind of shoulders Ash to the side and, and gets between him and Michael to kind of protect Michael. That was, that was awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's kind of turned into Michael's... She She's trying to be Michael's protector, even though, you know, Michael doesn't really need protecting. Well, she, she's... Uh, you know, I think Rick said it, like, in the, in the, uh, the Disco Party episode, uh, that she's, like, the ultimate wingman, wingwoman. yeah. yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, that was a nice touch. So the Discovery spore jumps into the planet. And then they send Michael, uh, Ash, Tilly, and the Emperor to the surface. And Hang on. Soon... Be, be, go ahead. Be, before you go too far, I don't. I, I, I really want to compliment the visual effects of the Discovery appearing in the well the visual effects for this show have been phenomenal all the way through oh, there hasn't been a yeah. bad one at all but the discovery jumping into that cave and then them trying to stabilize it so that the gravity doesn't pull them down onto the rocks and stuff that was just that was such a sweet effect it was just it was gorgeous i didn't even think about that I, I I I saw the stabilizers come on and they, and they're like going down towards the ground, but I didn't even think about it as a, a fact that they were weightless just a second ago and now they're in a, inside a planet. I didn't even think about that. I just mm -hmm. I just knew well, yeah, they're trying to keep from uh, hitting the ground, but I don't know. I'm dumb. <laughs> 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 but as soon as yeah. I got to the surface, to me, I start seeing flashes of Demolition Man and RoboCop Three. <laughs> Blade and, Runner, yeah, yeah, yeah lots yeah. of lots of there's a recall, yeah, a bit of a bit of Blade Runner in the in the aerial shots, that's for sure. Yeah, all those sci-fi movies that take place in like a post-apocalyptic yeah. world, or well, well, that, well, they have to go to the CD underground of the city to get information. Pretty much all yeah. of them. Yeah. Why? Okay, so the Starfleet, the Federation, is at war with the Klingons. Why are there so many humans just walking around on the Klingon homeworld and not being taken prisoner? There weren't any. Well, there was Clint Howard. He was an Orion. He wasn't a human. Oh, okay. He wasn't a human. He, okay. All the green people are Orions. That's what they said. It was an Orion embassy. And uh, see, some of them were green, but they didn't really look green to me. I don't know. The, the the lighting changed a couple of times in the episode, and some of the green people, all of a sudden, they didn't really look <laughs> green to me. You know, so uh, anyway. Um, so Tilly eats some space whale. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was that also was. I'm like, you know, you're in a jacked up part of a jacked up planet. Why would you randomly? You know, they eat people here. You know, well, they was, eat humans. It's a throwback. That's a throwback to uh, Demolition Man. You know, they did the same joke when Stallone's eating a oh, burger, rats. eating a yeah. burger, and it was a rat. You know, so that, I, I I thought that they were just kind of throwing back to that with the setting that they were in and everything. So. Oh, it just—it's—it's it's pretty low-hanging fruit. You're—I mean, it's, you're, it's, you're it's, in a place like that. They're making food in in the alley. You know, someone once someone takes a bite, it's like, okay. They're sure. eating food. That's fine. Once someone says it's delicious, well, you know that it's going to be something gross. Yeah. And there should have been a hint when, as they were walking up, she would have seen the guy putting a fillet of meat onto the grill the size of a throw blanket. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I think there was actually a sign like in the like behind him. <laughs> I think there's like a an actual picture of a of a of a gormagander. But uh, you know, she was distracted. And and what what the act they actually were eating was uh, not even meat at all because both Sonequa Martin Green and Mary Wiseman are vegetarians. Yeah. So yeah, that's probably like, tofu, yeah. Yeah, well, it's like some the, vanilla uh, wafer. What they, what they said on After Track, they said they didn't know exactly what it was, but it was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> no, they said it, was, said it was it was like a vanilla wafer crushed and molded to kind of gel. Oh, yeah, right. That's dry. right. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure they'll be. I'm sure they'll be available on the on the website soon. <laughs> if we found out that that <laughs> was Gander pops. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought it'd be weird if we found out that that, was, that she was eating the same, the actual same 
Gormagander from the <laughs> from earlier <laughs> in the series, but um, okay. So now, did it? Did anyone find it odd? And this this did bother me a little bit that they were actually trading weapons. Uh, Nausicaan disruptors, which I, was a nice yes no. callback to TNG. I was fine with it. Because, I mean, anytime you're undercover, from my years of experience being a avid <laughs> watcher of television shows, anytime you're undercover, you know, you got to do some dirty stuff so that the bad guys will trust you. Yeah, it, it didn't cross my mind uh, as I was watching the scene anything uh, odd about them doing that. And in hindsight, considering the end game, I'm pretty sure that Starfleet didn't yeah. really care. Good yeah, point. yeah. Well, if they if the Starfleet was willing to do what we found out later that they were willing to do, yeah, <laughs> they didn't care because they didn't think anybody was going to be making it off that planet anyway. <laughs> yeah, good point. But um, okay, so here's a question: Do Klingons pee out of two openings, or do they have two uh, parts? Looks, looks to me like two willies. To... <laughs> or or is it one that just forks? <laughs> it it has to be two. They have two hearts. They have what was it three four lungs? Um, they they have a backup nervous system, as yeah, we I learned. Yeah, remember that from when, TNG. Yeah, right. So if, if they have backups of all those, yeah, well yeah, that wasn't even yeah, a backup. He was just using both of them. It looked like because and, <laughs> and and I thought, well, no wonder Vok didn't want to be a human. <laughs> well, and, and and Vok truly is half the man he used to be. You're right. <laughs> Ooh, low blow. <laughs> so we see lots of almost naked Orions, and uh, Giorgio takes a couple of them to bed with her, and and then uh, beats them up for information later uh, to find shades out where of the intendant. Yes, yes, true. Uh, to find now out that's, where that the is, temple is. That's something I'd like to address, actually. Okay, is <sighs> this is something that's kind of bothered me ever since the the DS Nine days. Um, the implication by Star Trek writers, and you know, maybe other writers as well, that a healthy libido or an uninhibited libido is a, is uh, inherently evil. You know, I that occurred to me as well, and I was annoyed as well, and I would say you could make the counter argument. That um, they're, I, I guess, I, I think we've already said that mirror universe is not necessarily evil universe. Um, but one of the things that occurred to me was that even in this, um, the, the the mirror world where everything is so restrictive and um, intolerant. They don't really seem to have a problem with this. And maybe it's just people in power. And maybe it's just because they consider everyone equally unworthy beneath them and they're all fodder anyway. But I did think it was, um, I don't know, an, an interesting, I guess, train of thought that these people who are so prejudiced don't have this particular hang-up that we have. 
Hmm. I did like the fact that Giorgio took one of each. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the if the second time, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, this is going to piss people off. But then the second time I was watching it, I noticed there were as many, ma- you know, scantily clad male Orions as there were women. Um, granted, we didn't get as many lingering butt shots right. <laughs> on the guys. Uh, so I honestly, I, I kind of thought that they were just going to go there. Because, I, okay, so my four-year-old, I'm pretty sure he's asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still going to censor my language. I'm pretty sure that the potty mouth F-word on the grand scheme of things is worse than seeing uh, booby. <laughs> <laughs> and, if, and if they're going to go there with the, with the Fs and the Ss, is it so taboo to show a B? In the United or States, yes, unfortunately. <laughs> a B or a D or a bit of A? a D. Unfortunately, well, yeah, we have this this artificial puritanism in this country that they would rather see guts and intestines and, and children on spikes and hear all kinds of filthy language, but don't you dare show a boob. I mean, but they, like, that to me... Well, whatever. I, I mean, I'm not gonna say I'm disappointed that they didn't show it because I mean, I'm fine. I'll be fine. I've got the internet. I can get what I need to get. But <laughs> it, it, it seemed, it did seem like you say, Rick. It did seem like they were intentionally pulling a punch when this show has kind of made it stand on. No, it makes sense that this is the thing that they would say. So that's what we're gonna say. No, it makes sense that this is the thing they would do. So that's what we're gonna do. And here's like, well, we can't do that because. Then why you put them in a place where people do the naughty? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they're clearly dancing. <clears throat> and like, why is this your? Why is this the one thing, the one place you won't go? That kind of annoyed me actually more than the than the, the Giorgio thing. Well, I you know I love the fact that they're 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 obvious they've obviously done the deed. And you know, yes. and the guy's saying to Giorgio, "Wow, that was that was amazing." And Giorgio's still fully clothed. <laughs> what the yeah. hell did she do? That's <laughs> just Mostly how clothed. good she is. <laughs> I, I, I would even be fine with that because I mean, I, I fully um, no, Michelle Yeoh is not going to do a nude scene. I got that. No, That's... no, nor did I expect it. But it just, right. it just but random <laughs> dancing trollop people. Sure. I, yeah. I, I why not? Why not? <laughs> I'm sure that this discussion occurred in the writer's room, and I'm sure that there were many, many, uh, you know, they may have gone back and forth. They didn't mention any of it on After Track, not that I think they would. Um, but, it, you know, it was interesting that they went about as far in that direction as you can. I mean, uh, the woman was, she was basically wearing pasties. Yeah. And depending yeah. on her particular biology, Don't the pasties would have been the approximate size of the areola. Yeah. So basically it was just black instead of pink. So what's the, uh, free the nipple. So I'm saying, yeah, I think yeah. maybe, maybe they felt like they had pushed it as far as they wanted to go for a season one with what they had done <laughs> with Laurel. And maybe, uh, I mean, maybe they'll, maybe something will happen in season two or season three or something like that, but maybe they just had 
some kind of an artificial barrier that they didn't want to they don't want to go you know this far and no further (laughs) and uh and then uh and then maybe see what they can get away with now and then they'll uh and then they'll push for more later i don't know i I think i might be with you scott where where you, you said that basically the show has kind of spoiled you for uh, raising the bar so you mm-hmm. expect them to always hit the bar so yeah. when they when they when they when they pull back like that it, it's it stands out more than in, than other uh, shows I'll tell you where else it stands out this is not necessarily part of the episode that we're discussing but uh, what you said just reminded me of this and I want to toss it in there last night um uh, I, I had to go to work, but we had a little bit of time before I went to sleep before work. So my wife and I sat down and she wasn't uh, feeling up to focusing on a new episode uh, f- for her of Discovery because she hasn't seen uh, 14 yet. But she wasn't she wasn't quite up for it. And 15 had not aired yet. Um, but she said, I, I think I can do an episode of Voyager, which we still haven't finished. I think. <laughs> I think we're in. We might be in our third year of this. <laughs> of oh, this Voyager's viewing. just nothing but tits and ass everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> and and we bring it up and we watch the episode of Voyager. And now I've been watching Discovery this whole season. And to to go back, the the whiplash that you get <laughs> going from Discovery back to season seven Voyager, and just the way that the show is made, the the quality of the sets. And the props and the visual effects and the writing and the performance. Whoa. I still love all the Star Trek that has come before. Voyager less. But <laughs> Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, I love them. And I will always love them. I love TOS as well, but that was really before my time. Next Gen is really what got me into Star Trek. And all those series, I will always love them. But it's hard to look at them the same way now that we have seen Star Trek this way. Yeah, I, I watched a couple of, of episodes of Voyager a weekend too, and it did strike me. I'm like, man, the camera is really staying still. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is so brightly lit. Yeah. <laughs> this cave is very paper mache. <laughs> All right, so Tilly gets high in some volcanic vapor. Clint Howard returns to Star Trek. Uh, Clint Howard, the brother of Ron Howard, has appeared in several versions of the franchise. He was in uh, (coughs) the original series in the Corbinite Maneuver. He was in DS9 in past... Corbo Might. Corbo Might. Corbo Might. I believe that's what I said. Sorry. No, he's a a Corbinite. Like like Kryptonite is what you said. It's Corbo Might. The Corbo Might Maneuver... There he we in go. DS9 in Past Tense Part 2 and Enterprise it's part Acquisition. Two. Part, part, it's part 2. Part 12. Part 12. Well, part a, well, actually, Rick, uh, shut up. <laughs> 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 so that was another Easter egg. for Just for Clint Howard to be there was another Easter egg. But um, Tilly realizes that the volcanoes are not dormant and that they did not bring a drone to the surface. They brought a hydrogen bomb. And uh, Giorgio knocks her out for it. <laughs> so they realize uh, that Starfleet's actual plan is that Giorgio is going to drop a bomb into the, the volcano, which will cause a chain reaction throughout the planet and release, I'm, I'm guessing, release gas and ash into the atmosphere. 
and kill everybody. I have a, I have a question. Okay. Uh, why didn't Buck know that the volcanoes were still active? He seemed to have extensive knowledge about the planets. And this is this, and that's this, and oh, they don't use that anymore because of this. But he didn't know that, is it that they're not all active? Is that, what, what's, the, what's the deal there? How you, how you gonna how you gonna start check this one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, how you gonna that, start check this? A, that's just a failing a, a writer failing, I believe, because they say they say very emphatically at the beginning of the episode he has all of Vox memories. So it's not like he has some of Vox memories or something where they can say, well, he just forgot that part or something. They it said was, he like, has all of Vox memories, so he should know that. See, that's the, those those are the things that annoy me more because. You could easily make something up to make that kind of make sense. Like, okay, well, Vogue hasn't actually been on the planet in the past 10 years because he was well, blah, blah, blah. Fine. Or they're not all, all of the volcanoes aren't active. There's just one or two on the planet. But if you set the bomb off, it'll reignite the others. Fine. Just something. Or maybe he was, uh, you know, he wasn't there when they were discussing all the details of the plan. So maybe they just it just didn't occur to them to mention, hey, we're looking for dormant volcanoes to throw oh, a drone into. He totally did. He was there because that that was the plan B, because Laurel wasn't telling Giorgio anything. So yeah, but all they, but all they asked him was where where it's the best place to get into. Oh, to land the. Well, no, he knew what the plan was though, because he went down with the landing party. He knew what the the supposed plan was. They, they may on, not Rick. have mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> they must have just assumed that he knew all of it. And sure, my, my take okay. on it is this: it yes, if if the writers make a mistake and they have you know a plot hole that uh, y- when you look back on the episode you can't quite uh, you know talk your way out of it, you can't reason your way out of it and say okay, yeah, they made an oops, but. While I was watching the episode, it didn't occur to me. So they at least get the point. Mm-hmm. That, they may well, not get they may not get full marks, but they get some credit because that went straight by me and you know it didn't I'm even happy, slow me down. I am happy for you, <laughs> <laughs> but it's stuck in my crawl. And and let me let me let me let me say this too, just for the record, uh, I'm a pretty forgiving fan. And even this, I am forgiving of. But that doesn't mean I'm going to ignore it. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not one of those fans. Like, oh, they did this and they, and they ruined it. Like, no, no. They, they, for whatever reason, they had a plot hole and they didn't fill it. That's fine. But I, I, I will acknowledge it and I can move on. But you're right because it didn't occur to me at all. But you're right. You're absolutely right. This highlights uh, uh, the the difference between me and John because I was not bothered by that plot hole regarding the the volcanoes. What bothered me was when Philippa said to um, Orion dude, how much for a little me time? And his response was, over there. That was a weird response. But, uh, that doesn't answer her question. That is not an amount. That is a location. <laughs> that, that was go to, go talk to the cashier. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how I interpreted that. No, that was you, you that, this, that this room there. over here, and that's where they went. <laughs> we, we don't talk about this on the street or something like that. Yeah, I think it, I think it was both. And again, from my extensive knowledge of watching cop shows, um, the uh, <laughs> the propositionee 
has to be vague to the propositioner, lest uh, entrapment occur. So, yeah. Yeah. do you Just really think that tokens. type of activity? Yeah. <laughs> no. Now that I think about it, there's no cops around there. <laughs> <laughs> These are the Orions, okay? They're the ones who gave the name to the Orion Syndicate. Do you really think that type of activity is illegal there? <laughs> no. They, that was that was go over to the desk over there, buy a handful of tokens, and then we'll talk. That, that was how I interpreted. Like that's 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 you need to speak to that guy over there, and, and yeah, I'll meet you in the room. And, next a couple of minutes. If we're talking about parts of this part of the story that got on our nerves. <laughs> the, Sorry, the, everyone. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Go ahead, go ahead. Before we do that, there's some another Easter egg we skipped okay. earlier. One of the one of the, the, the booths that they walked by was cooking up SETI Alpha 5 eels. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't oh, I, notice yeah. that, but somebody I saw a screenshot of it later on in the night and realized it. Yeah, my I, wife I, even I, caught that. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am fully aware that I'm not the the biggest uh, track fan, like you know, on this panel certainly. Um, but that's that's the one that I caught. Like I, I knew that there were Easter eggs flying left and right that I just wasn't getting. But that was that was the one that I was like, yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> we're not here for bread and circuses. Yeah. <laughs> so what I didn't what I didn't like was the fact that they they found out what Giorgio's actual plan was, and they know well we have to go find Giorgio. But wait, let's stop and talk about why I hate Klingons. <laughs> and yeah. so she stops and tells Ash the story, which I mean, it's a scene that we needed to have. I'm just not sure if we needed to have it right here. Was you that know? before they found? That, that, no, no, that was right before. Uh, that was right yep. before they they found out about uh, Tilly and Georgia. Yeah, that was before Tilly call, called and got. Yeah. yeah, that's right. You're right. Did, You're right. Did you catch that? That was a trill getting a tattoo in that parlor. No, I, I didn't. You know what? I could not tell. There were a few uh, people there that looked like they might have been trill just based on the, the spots, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, the, the, some, the woman some, getting the tattoo was definitely a trill. Because some of the dancers looked like they were trill. Uh, At least to me. But I, don't know. I, I think all the dancers were Orion. They were all they were all green. At least that I saw. Um, yeah, like I said, they look they were they were definitely green when they were out on the street, but once they went into that uh, bar or that club or whatever they were in, the lighting in there, all of a sudden their skin didn't look as green as it did when it was outside. So I mm. start, I got kind of confused about who was who was who in there. But now I'll tell you what did strike me as odd about that scene is that they're in a tattoo parlor and Nobody that works in the tattoo parlor has a problem with these two having a heart to heart in there for no <laughs> no reason. Yeah, <laughs> uh, right. They got all sorts of things. They're, they're like bartenders. They just yeah. <laughs> they just look the other way. So the story was basically that um, I was kind I was kind of hoping Burnham would get a tattoo. <laughs> By the way, I would love to get one of those tattoos that you touch it and it lights up all over you. That'd be yeah. sweet. <laughs> well, you know they have like the the infrared tattoos and like. Uh, yeah, but you need a black light for those. <laughs> Glittery. Glittery. All right. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so Michael tells Ash that when she was young, basically the Klingons just came into her house. Her father ha- had her hide in the closet or something, and uh, Klingons yeah. came into her house, slaughtered her parents, and then sat down and ate their dinner and laughed. And so she was having kind of some, uh, some 
post-traumatic stress over seeing the Klingons on that planet, just laughing and having a good time. It kind of gave her some flashbacks to that. And, and so that's, that's the thing that she's been dealing with. We knew that the, that her parents died and that it had something to do with Klingons. We had not been given the details yet, but the, the story did not surprise me. I figured it was something like that. I kind of thought that her parents had died during the bombing that she was injured in when she was young. I was a little confused too, but then I realized that the the Klingon attack is how she came to Sarek. The Correct. Vulcan extremist attack was how Sarek gave her part of his Katra. Correct. There were two yeah. separate incidents. Yeah. She she has she has had a very unlucky <laughs> yeah. right. childhood. <laughs> so they go back to the ship and Michael stands up to Cornwell, not Cornwall, Cornwell. sorry last week everybody i kept calling her cornwall and didn't realize until i was editing the episode i was like i'm an idiot uh might (laughs) yeah so she basically threatens another (laughs) mutiny because this solution goes against everything starfleet stands for and she says that the mutiny she performed on the shinzu was wrong because uh, she believed their survival was more important than their principles and now she's prepared to commit another one for the opposite reason. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, she's, she's learned a lesson in the last 18 months, but she's definitely still willing to, uh, to go against command and, and do what she feels is right. No matter what she's being told. Well, what uh, I liked about that scene was the fact that Cornwell backed down. A lot of people want to call Cornwell a bad, a bad Merle. Uh, and I don't think she is at all. I think she's just, you know, desperate and, and yeah. felt that an act of desperation was called for. And that, as she said, we don't have time for principles. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, then Burnham came back with, that's all we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could see that Cornwell was convinced. And that I, I, I love that about the character because that's not something we've seen very much of in Star Trek. When a hot, when when they bring in an admiral or a, or a commodore or an ambassador, especially in TOS, they're almost always just arrogant assholes who drag the entire crew and ship into danger. And then it's not until they've got a phaser up their nose that they go, "Oh, I guess maybe I was wrong." <laughs> so I really I really like seeing Cornwell back down and say, "All right, what are you suggesting?" It it was a it was a nice flip on the Badmiral concept. I, we've had Admiral uh, Cartwright, uh, Dougherty, Pressman. These are all admirals who decided to go against Federation uh, regulations and against principle to do what was convenient in order to gain an advantage, um, even if it was uh, atrocitous. That might not That'll be a work. word. <laughs> it's it's it's. I know it's the name of a DC villain, and I realized after I said it, it might only be a DC Comics villain. Um, we're, we're allowed to make up words here. This is a Star Trek It's almost part of the job description. So, and that's how they always went about it. But you could tell that uh, Admiral Cornwell, she didn't want to take this route, but she felt it was the only one left. So she was reluctantly going against Starfleet principles in order to, to in order in order to survive whereas yeah. all those others they willingly went against uh, uh, principle in order to gain an advantage that could have been gained 
other ways, it just would have taken longer and it would have been harder. Yeah, I um, I appreciated that scene on a lot of levels. It, it was it was um, a moment of growth for many of the characters, like uh, like obviously Burnham and Cornwell and Saru um, and this bridge crew that we only kind of know. Um, <laughs> but like even in the midst of it, I just I couldn't help but thinking, yeah, we're all standing. Bunch of jackasses standing around in a circle. (laughs) 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 Let's, uh, all right, let's talk about how the Klingon war ends in this episode. So, I mean, we, Michael gets to Giorgio and stops her from, uh, detonating that bomb. Then they bring Laurel down and they encode the detonator to her. And basically they just give her the, give her the bomb and say, now you go, you go be the leader. You know, you're the captain now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, it just seemed weird to me because Laurel had no interest in doing anything for them 15 minutes ago, and now they're just now you go lead the Klingons and 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 you create uh, unity between the houses, and there will be peace with the Federation and blah 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 blah. Why do they think that she's the one to do that? Other than because Ash told them that. I think she they they <clears throat> that already established that she and Buck were like the last true believers in in the in the unified Klingon uh, Empire as opposed to separate houses. Um, that it really could have backfired horribly, but it it was a gamble so that they wouldn't have to. It was either that it was either risk it or blow up Kodos. And they felt like it was worth the risk. Yeah. I just, you know, she spends a lot of time quoting Takuvma. And Takuvma's basically the one that started the war in the first place. But I think think her time in the cell and her conversations uh, have, have shown her that while his vision may have been correct, his... His plan was flawed. I, th- I think I think she has come to recognize. That. In fact, she says it at the end. You know, Takuma um, had it wrong. This is not the way to do this. And, and again, it, it was it was a huge risk for them to to uh, give her that power. Yeah, it just kind of felt like the writers were just saying we need this war to be over by the end of this episode. <laughs> so yeah, Laurel is I our day of sex machina and we're just going to end it. <laughs> I, you know, you, I've, I've heard that term. Now I even said at the beginning of this, of this show, I, I'm not really a fan of the way they ended this war. Uh, but I don't know that it's necessarily a deus ex machina. It's not an outside force coming in and making things all better. If Q had shown up or the Organians or something like that, yeah. I think that... Harry Murray with, with the time watch. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that um, the two things that didn't really work for me, but I can think I can think of ways to put these that they, that they do. One... Jojo gave up real easily, uh, but 
On the other hand, I don't think she really gave a shit. <laughs> she oh, was so just like, like leaving. No, she didn't care. She yeah. got the the thing that she wanted was freedom, and now she's untethered in this universe. Yeah, which I think she's... is a really bad idea, and I'm sure yeah. we'll see her again. But that's cool. Yeah. Um, the other thing uh, is with Laurel, the courage that it because she was already kind of grudgingly admiring Cornwell. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the courage that she witnessed for them to say, we just put a bomb in your planet that could blow up the whole planet. Here's the, here's the detonator. Do with it what you will. That is an act of incredible courage in the eyes of a Klingon. Mm. And, Lorel's not stupid. Lorel is, you know, she's performing seven million schemes a second. <laughs> she's a, yeah. she's just a, a a a calculating machine when it comes to ways to fuck over everybody. And you know, they just gave her the biggest bomb on her planet and said, "Here you go." Yeah. Uh, I I think that you know the combination of, my God, you guys have balls. And you just gave me the biggest pair of all. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, my question, and I just I just did a little bit of research because I wanted to make sure I wasn't coming at this from from a scientifically unsound place. All right, impulse engines, impulse drive in the Star Trek universe takes ships from doing nothing up to C, up to light speed, up to just below light speed. From Jupiter. It, or it takes light from the sun 43 minutes, roughly, to get to Jupiter. <laughs> the Klingon Armada was inside the orbit of Jupiter. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking maybe half an hour for yeah. everything that happened on Kronos. Uh, I'm going to do you one better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had a similar issue. Why, like, when we see the Klingon ships fly off after Laurel presumably orders them to stand out, how are you not in battle? How are you not at least facing an army? This is the this is the home planet. Uh, this isn't some skirmish like outside. This is this is where all the ships would gather for their final stand. They don't know about this secret mission. Why is there nobody there to defend Earth? Yeah, there was a noticeable lack of fleet, wasn't there? Yeah. Well, the yeah. fleet's been destroyed. Now, now here's no, the thing. No, but there was still, there, I mean, a significant portion of them. But whatever ships they had would be there. The but fleet no, wasn't no. completely destroyed. And if the fleet had been completely destroyed, why weren't they already firing on Earth? Well, the, yeah, that's the other thing is they they destroy Starbase One, which we established last episode is still in the fucking solar system. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's kind of a trope. It's kind of a trope with some with some sci-fi shows and movies that they treat the solar system as if it's a neighborhood, and uh, the planets are just like the buildings that they're going by. <laughs> you know, yeah. so as they fly through the solar system, they're going to pass Venus and they're going to pass sure. Mars and all that. You know, and, but they're all lined up all the time. Yeah, because right. I mean, if yeah. the, pla- the 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 planets are 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 at different distances from the sun but they're not all in a line <laughs> like you see on the map and on the third grade classroom <laughs> wall you know <laughs> but yeah so that yeah so in, in a nutshell like that's my issue with this and again i, I overall I like, I like the episode 
um, the things that took me out of it were the little things like that that literally took me out. It's like why that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, I mean, it looked, it looked good as a visual effect, but, well, it's like in, you know, well, one see, of the they, many... They could, have, they could have had that exact same shot, but just had some other, some some Federation and ally ships facing off against them, even if no one was firing. Yeah. I would, that, okay, fine, I'll buy that, because Starfleet doesn't fire first. I'm fine. And the Klingons aren't firing, so we're not firing. Fine. But there's just nobody there. There's no planetary defense system. Not even drones or satellites. For realties? Come <laughs> <Yeah>. on, y'all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so Ash is going with Laurel. And uh, but the, the the writers and the producers have said that he will have a major part in season two. So we're gonna see him again. So that, that his story's not over yet. Uh, but anyway, uh, he kisses Michael, so I guess Michael forgives him for trying to kill her. And uh, <laughs> And, as long as he's leaving. Yeah. <laughs> the crew of yeah. the Discovery uh, get some medals, and Michael makes a beautiful speech. And uh, Sarek tells it's Michael... A weirdly that, edited speech. What's that? <laughs> a weirdly edited speech. <laughs> where they, they interspersed her speech with the other... I'm like, why would you just let one finish? And then yeah, it. that was kind of strange, but... Uh, I kind of felt like, are, are they just giving us pieces of Michael's speech? But no, I think I think we heard the whole no, thing. They, they were, but it's just, it, again, it was unnecessarily confusing. Yeah. But Sarek tells Michael that the president has uh, pardoned her of her crimes, and uh, she has her rank back. She's commander again. And he's going to join them as they go to Vulcan to pick up their new captain, which makes me wonder, is their captain going to be a Vulcan, or is he just a human that's on Vulcan at the, at the time, or something like that? I guess we'll find that out next season but on the way to vulcan they receive a priority one distress signal and it's coming from the uss enterprise which we see for a brief moment in all her glory as the credits roll i've heard of that ship what's that i've heard of that ship the enterprise (laughs) i I mean i wasn't expecting that when i when i saw that when i saw the enterprise i was like okay so are they telling me that the Enterprise is this the cliffhanger for season two, or is this just some fan service? Either way, I mean the the, the ship looked beautiful, and it was good. I think it's both. Yeah, it is the cliffhanger. <clears throat> yeah, they said I... they said on After Trek that, or I don't know if it was on After Trek or one of the articles that I read, but uh, the Enterprise is going to have something to do with season two. They're not promising that you're going to see anybody that you know from the Enterprise. They haven't haven't said that they're casting Pike or that they're casting Spock or anything like that. I think they're going to do both. I think they have to cast Spock. They said... Because they got Sarek and Burnham on the ship. Like, they... they, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, they, they said when this show started that they will never have any original series characters on this show. No, they said not this season. Oh, did they say not this season? Okay. They were very cagey about that. Okay. No pun intended. I I, I get the strong (laughs) feeling. Nice. Oh, you're right. That wasn't intended, but I'll take it. Nicely (laughs) done. I think what we're going to see is we're we're going to learn that they, they were en route 
to pick up a new captain. We're going to know who that is. They're never going to become the new captain. They are going to become an XO. And I'm, I'm, I'm being cagey because there's someone in the next room who hasn't seen the episode and I don't want to, I don't want to spoil, but the, the prospective new captain of discovery is going to become the XO over there. Uh, hmm. That's interesting. Is everybody following? So, someone restated she, in spoiler. She, no, like, <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. There's okay. a problem with that. Have you read desperate hours? No. Okay. Um, one of the things I said after watching after the end of, of take my hand or whatever the hell, um, we are going to find out just how canon desperate hours actually is. That's the, that's the first, I think it's the first, um, novel. Yeah. It's the first novel. It's the first mm-hmm. novel. And it takes place. It's, it, it takes place like 10 years before the battle of the binary stars. No, or one, one, year, seven year. one year. Oh, one year. Before. Yeah. It oh, takes right, place right. one year before the the Battle of the Binary Stars. It takes place two years after the Cage. That's right. Yeah. So that character is already on the Enterprise, as far as. Oh. Okay. All right. Well, right. never mind. Yeah, you're you're talking number one, right? <laughs> or um, who knows? N- n- no. No. Oh, you 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 know what? Everything I said about XO replace that with science officer. My bad. Oh oh. My yeah. mistake. That's what I, that's what I thought. No, they wouldn't. No, he was too young. <clears throat> they, I think I think this is all a head fake, and they're going to make Sarah, uh, Saru the captain oh, because uh, event- it would eventually, be really yeah. shitty not to. Yeah. yeah, that's what I want. Well, wait, yeah. you, you think it's a, it's a head fake as far as the show, or it's a head fake as far as Starfleet? The show. Yeah, I think they're going to Vulcan because Sarek needs a lift. Um, I'm not sure yeah. that they're going that they're ever going to get the Vulcan. I think that you know. The fact that the that they ran into the Enterprise and there's some kind of a distress going on, it, that that mission is going to sideline everything that they've uh, that they were planning to do. Uh, Saru may remain the acting captain. You know, it may be the entire season, as far as we know. Um, we don't know what the Enterprise's distress was. Maybe half the crew have disappeared, and they have to kind of <laughs> help them find them. And that'll be why they don't have to recast anybody because <laughs> the captain and the and 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 Spock and the first officer—they're all missing, <laughs> you know, or something Except like that. Pike well, is the one that caught Pike is the one that the sent the signal. That's right. Yeah, I can um, see they could easily recast him because. You know, Jeffrey Hunter passed away years and years and years ago, and he's already been recast once when they did the the Menagerie in TOS. Yeah, I I I I don't know if I see them recasting Spock on TV Star Trek. Now I know they did it for the movie. Well, they did it with Sarek. Why not Spock? Well, because Sarek Sarek was not a regular every episode character. Well, I don't think Spock would be on every episode. No, I'm talking, about for, I'm talking about on Star Trek. Sarek wasn't on every episode of Star Trek. No, I know, I know, I know. Like, yeah. but Spock's not going to be on every episode of Discovery. Yeah. So what's the difference? I and, think it would be a huge cheat if they didn't. If if they would. Okay, let, let me let me rephrase that. I I suppose there's a way they could write it that we would not see Spock that I would accept or that the fans would accept. But I think those possible permutations are extremely limited. It, it would have. It, it's it's kind of like on Supergirl 
Like, eventually, you really do have to show Superman. Exactly. You exactly. can't keep talking about him and him being related and him have such an impact on this entire world and just never show him. Right. He doesn't have to be in every episode. He doesn't have to be a regular, but he needs to show up at least once and say, I'm Superman and do a Superman thing. And yeah. they they can definitely benefit from the fact that the person who plays his character uh, in in movies came from television and has done plenty of it. I'm uh, sure that Quinto's too old, though. Yeah, he's, he's about the same age that, that Leonard Nimoy was in the original series, anyway. You know, they, they, they would have to recast because Burnham is older than Spock, right? Mm, yes. Yeah. So yeah. So he'd definitely be. Yeah, but humans and Vulcans age differently. Sure. And and so. with 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 creative uh, makeup, hair, and some some digital retou- retouching, which it's got to be getting to the point where they can use that, you know, to to a limited degree on television. You know, maybe not the the Michael Douglas industrial strength de aging that they <laughs> do in, in Ant Man. Maybe yeah, not, but, but they, they, I'm but, sure they could. But like, for a, a one, maybe two episode appearance where it's not every scene, use some digital effects along with hair and makeup. And I, I, I think they could pull it off. I think even if they could, it wouldn't be worth it. It would be better to just get a younger actor. Because, again, there's so much, you know, you, you do the haircut, you do the ears, you do the eyebrows, and you're halfway there with any vaguely more looking person. So that there's, you know. They're all over the place. <laughs> Just go to any con. They're, they're literally all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd be fine with them recasting Spock. I've, you know, I, JJ, JJ Abrams kind of broke the, uh, the, the seal on that. You know, once I was able to accept the, the, the Kelvin verse cast as the characters that I grew up watching, uh, as long as it's done well, I don't have a problem with a new Spock. I don't. I certainly don't give a damn if they recast Pike, uh, you know, and the rest of them. Number one and and Boyce and and uh, all the the others, if they're still there, that's you know, why not? We've gone this far with Star Trek. It's it's kind of too late to be precious about it now. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think that that was part of the first season too. Was like, okay, I know you don't think you're gonna like this, but how about that? I know. I know you don't want this thing. But what if we do that? And so just kind of expanding your, your, your comfort zone bit by bit over the 15 episodes so yeah. that eventually you get to the point, fine, cast Spock. I think yes. they, he should be yeah. played by Tom Habercorn, though. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that might almost work, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I would like to say, if anyone's waiting for it, uh, if you know me from the Starbase Starbase 66 or any of the other shows uh, you may be wondering when I'm going to go berserk about the look of the Enterprise <laughs> I was mildly <laughs> <laughs> um, curious now, now that one I did do some freeze framing um, I think she's beautiful I was, in, I was literally sobbing when she showed up um, and there is nothing about that ship that we saw that is beyond a simple refit to get her to the ship we know. You know, this, the differences are she has a freaking, all right, she has one of those J.J. Abrams windshields <laughs> on the bridge. Um, the, the, uh, the, the triangular warp pylons 
you know, of course the engines are going to look a little different because they're they're earlier versions, but they're not the rectangular nacelles we've been seeing in all the other ships. Uh, and the fantail on the on the hangar deck's a little bit bigger, and that's really it. Uh, that's pretty much all they changed. The interconnecting dorsal's a little bit different, but again, none of this is is beyond the pale for you know a couple of refits down the road. She looks like the Enterprise we know. So yeah, I'm 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 thrilled with the ship. And then it, they play. It doesn't, it doesn't have the swoopy curves uh, on on the back end that we saw in the in the in the movies. Nice straight lines. Yes, the straight lines <laughs> where they ought to be straight. Exactly. That I enjoyed. Um, and then when they played the the, the TOS theme, right yeah. in the feels. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I got goosebumps I, when I heard it. Yeah. I hooped, I hooped and hollered. Um. Okay, so since this is our last, and I want to get to some uh, listener feedback, and we oh have wait, to... wait, wait, I have, I have, an, I have another uh, show-related thing before we. So here, here's, here's, it's, it's not even a theory; it's, it's more of a uh, thought experiment, I guess. Um, so we know that uh, Kalish. <laughs> I'm not saying that Kalish <laughs> is, is 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 cloned and brought back to life in the uh, next generation timeline. Um, so my question is, did that cloning process or attempted cloning process start right around now so that um, e- either either by Laurel to kind of add to her legitimacy or by the opponents of Laurel um, because they knew that really only he, his second coming would would uh, unite the houses again and be a strong enough force to to take her out of power. You do realize that the cloning of Kalis occurred more than a hundred years after the events we just saw. Uh, yes. Okay. The successful cloning. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the that, question that, is when when did the when did the process begin? Is right. is, is, is what we're looking at trying. and. And I, I like the idea. It's uh, it's a very interesting theory that could provide a whole lot of interesting um, uh, storylines to 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 explore. However, um, if I remember correctly from that uh, next gen episode, I think it was Rightful Air. Maybe don't quote me. Um, I don't think yes. that it, it it wasn't the High Council or anyone um, on Kronos that was involved in that cloning process. It was the, um, what, what do they call them? The, uh, pre pre, not priests, but clerics, I think maybe, um, uh, the Klingons on Borath who kept the Boreth. Bore- is it Bo- Boreth? Ooh, <laughs> I guess I walked into that one. <laughs> I, I, I have memory. I have the memory alpha, uh, entry up on my computer oh. right now. Well, 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 then why don't you just take over, uh, Mister Correct? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it actually doesn't say; it just says when they successfully cloned him, which was in twenty three sixty nine, uh, using DNA from the knife of Kiram, uh, and then they programmed him with with Kalesh's memories. Um, I, you know. I think if they had been trying to clone him for a century or more, they might have run out of material <laughs> from the knife. Um, I kind of get the feeling that it was a, a relatively recent endeavor. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can accept right. that. Aspen answered. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna dig into some. Um, I got a couple of things of listener feedback that I want to read. Hey, cool, it'll uh, be the had, first time. <laughs> we had a couple of emails come in. Uh, had one come in last week after our last episode. Let me pull it. I think it was from Shane. Uh, where is it? There it is. Okay. Yeah, so this is about the episode 14. He says, Hi all. Uh, there was something I noticed regarding Ash slash Vok in the most recent episode. Is his arc a metaphor for people who get drawn into violent extremism, commit horrendous acts, justify it through their race, religion, or nationality, before finally realizing the horrible things they've done and now want to try and make amends? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if those amends start to be made by Ash in next week's finale. Also, the way Tilly sparks his reconciliation with the crew in the cafeteria seems to be evidence of her growing confidence in the and influence on Discovery. What are the odds whenever the show ends, it ends with Tilly fulfilling her lifelong ambition and becoming captain of Discovery? Well, that didn't happen, but... <laughs> but uh, what do you guys think about this question? I think it could be. I don't know that. I think if you if you if you start viewing the characters as like individual metaphors or allegories, um, that may certainly be valid, and I'm sure you could, you know, do something like that for everyone. But it's you know it's not even a but; it's an and. That may well work. Um, but that is not how I choose to watch the show. I think it, I think it probably would work, actually. Um, but I like them being whole people more than I like them being um, personifications of ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think well, if, if if that's the line of thought that someone takes when when they view his character arc, then that that makes it valid. Yeah, but if the if the writers intended for his storyline to try to convey that, it would have been a lot more um, uh, would have been a lot more overt. Well, yeah, and I and I think because he didn't just realize that he was wrong, he was you know literally deprogrammed like they had to kill the other part of him it was a very sci-fi way to change your mind mm-hmm. and i think if that was the metaphor that they were they were trying to relay it would have been more intentional yeah. like he, he he would have changed his mind as opposed to being you know um, unprogrammed yeah if we've learned anything from star trek it's that if if they have uh, an idea or a concept that they want to get across to us, they make it very, very clear. If that was their intention, <laughs> we would not be asking, was that their intention? We would have been saying, well, uh, you think that was their intention? <laughs> <laughs> but he was black on one side and white on the other. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> uh, got another email from uh, Matt Zupka. Uh, greetings. The mighty Zupka. Just a quick note to express my absolute enjoyment of last night's finale. I enjoyed all the various references from Betazoids to Eels to Clint Howard. 
Last night's episode managed to service fans without making it seem like fan service. Tilly was by far, Tilly by far was and always is a standout for me. Her half salute to Emperor, sorry, Captain Giorgio was priceless. The bits with the Orions was great as well. Fun to see that they're not uh, so much different across universes. I'm happy with the resolution of the Klingon War. Very Star Trekian. I look forward to more of Laurel and her machinations with the Empire. Oh, and something at the end here had me silent cheering, everyone else being asleep. Something about a ship, registry <laughs> NCC-1701. I love the look of the rebooted Enterprise. I can't wait for next season. Fantastic show. I've enjoyed experiencing this new trek along with all of you. And a uh, couple of comments that were on our Facebook page I wanted to get to, if I can make this box go away it won't go away <laughs> uh, facebook is frozen so i guess i'm not going to get to read the- well okay now hang on I'm- i'll go yeah i was about to say uh, if you want. uh dude this is oh here we go okay ryan ryan hunwicks said uh hey guys thanks for the ad uh i've really enjoyed look uh listening to the show and hearing all of your insights my 11 year old daughter uh clara and i have been watching disco from the start it's really been it's been really special sharing a new Star Trek series with her. Living in Canada, we're fortunate to watch it live for free on Space Channel. I imagine it has something to do with it being filmed in Toronto. Uh, It has been nostalgic watching it on Sundays at 8 p.m. and has given us appointment viewing instead of... uh, has given us appointment viewing instead of in our on-demand world now. I cannot read, I'm sorry. Just like (laughs) the old Trek series. All the tips... Last night were pretty rad, and it, it was hard uh, trying to clue Clara to all the nods like Clint Howard without talking over all the actors. At the end, when uh, when 1701 came up on screen, we both shouted, No way! The Enterprise! <laughs> so, geek question. They referenced Pike as captain. We are 10 years prior to Kirk, so when was Robert April captain from? Robert April was captain before Pike. Yeah, he was the uh, first commander of the Enterprise. Yeah, we never actually saw him. Um, and they only made him canon, like, recently, right? Uh, in this series. Yeah. When Saru yeah. looked up the most decorated captains was the first time Robert April appeared on screen, in, 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 which established him as canon. So, uh, um, when the stress call came in, what no it was captain pike he was captain pike. yeah they said captain yeah. pike mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay yeah the vulcan hello takes place uh three years after the cage so captain pike is captain of the enterprise from the period of the cage all the way up until a year or two before star trek begins because i think didn't star trek was that supposed to be like the third year of their five-year mission or something like that they never really said um it was pretty clear that it wasn't Kirk's first time out, but it's, you know, when you're talking continuity with the original series, it's, uh, you know, almost non-existent. So there, there are theories, there are timelines, but I don't know if any of it is actually official. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's one other thing we have to do. Uh, we have to give away a prize and it is, um, like I said, uh, we were originally going to give away a book, but instead we are going to give away a Discovery Era communicator pen replica. And what I had thought about doing was I was I was just going to take everybody's name of everybody that had uh, 
posted anything on our Facebook page or sent in emails or whatever and I was going to draw a name. Well, what I actually did was take all those names and put them into a bowl and I drew out three names. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to assign each one of those names to each one of you guys. And then we're going to play a game and you're going to be their champions. (laughs) (laughs) So whichever one of you guys wins, the person that you're playing for will win the prize. If it's a Star Trek trivia game, I apologize. (laughs) <laughs> it's 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 not really. It's we're going to play the Rotten Tomatoes game using actors from this series. So it kind of gives you guys a little taste. Since this is our last episode of this season of the Discovery After Show, it gives you a little taste of what we the kind of stuff that we do over on Cosmic Potatoes, so that you can come and visit us over there in the meantime until we come back for season two. So, uh, or... This man is almost Lucasian in his marketing. Savvy. <laughs> I, I I I very much like this idea. I would request <laughs> that uh, you don't say anybody's name who's assigned to anybody. But when one of us wins, just say who won. Which is you know that well, do way. You want me to, do you want me to say the three names that are being played for so that no. they, they they know while they're while they're no, listening to the show that they're all. being played for? No, nope. John, okay. John John doesn't want the losers to know that we lost for them. Correct. <laughs> that way, everyone is a loser okay. equally. And there's one Chad, I want to know who I'm playing for, damn it. <laughs> okay, I well, I'll just say, there are, there are three people. Okay, John, take your headphones out for a minute. What? <laughs> I want the, right, listener, the listeners that are being played for, I want them to know that they're being played for. So No! <laughs> <laughs> We may just two people sad. We may just have to make this majority vote. You'll still make one person happy regardless. Why would you make two additional people sad? I mean, it's not like I'm going to send them five hundred dollars. I'm sending them a a little Star Trek pin. So I I will not. I will not say who is playing for who. That that the only person that that will come out is who wins. But uh, the people being played for are Pierre Poirier. If I'm saying that correctly, if I'm not, I apologize. Uh, Mary E. Freer Yay, Mecca. and and Lainey Boylette. So those three people are being played for. Uh, okay, so the way and the if, if, if if we lose for uh, for for the two listeners that we lose for, just remember it it's an honor just to be selected. Right. <laughs> and it really was random. I I dug back through the Facebook page. The, the old page that we were using before and the group that we're using now, I went through my emails, I went through the uh, voicemail. We had two voicemails. and um, They were both the went, first time. And I went and looked at <laughs> iTunes to see if there were, yeah. <laughs> I went and looked at iTunes to see if there were any uh, reviews there. And, and all those names, I wrote them down on little pieces of paper, put them into a bowl, stirred them up, and pulled out three. And those were the names I came out with. So... Um, the way the Rotten Tomatoes game works is I'm going to name an actor and I'm going and it's going to be an actor or an actress from Star Trek Discovery. I'm going to name another movie that they were in and then uh, Scott, John, and Rick are all going to guess what the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes is for that movie. So Rotten Tomatoes works like they take all the critic scores uh, that are put out for a movie and they make a grade. So it can be anywhere from 0 to 100%. And if you get above about uh, 70, it's considered to be fresh. Anything below that is rotten and the, the lower the score, the worse the movie is considered to be. So, 
Okay, so the first name is Jason Isaacs. And the movie that I picked for him is Black Hawk Down from 2001. So, Scott, what do you think the Rotten Tomato score was for that? Uh, I never saw it. Um, but I seem to recall that it was fairly well received. So, critic score, let me say 70. All right. John? I was actually going to say 68. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, I, will, I will stand by that 68. Okay. All right, Rick? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to say 75. All right. The correct answer is 76. Wow. So Rick wins <laughs> that one. All right. The next one, I'm going to go to five, and as long as I there's feel, not I, as I long as there's not a tie. Go ahead. What, what John? Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I feel good that we're all in the same range. Nobody was just, like, way off. Way off, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're going to go to five, and as long as there's not a tie, we'll stop at five. If there's a tie, we'll go on. Um, Michelle Yeoh. She was in a movie in 1996 called Super Cop with Jackie Chan. Scott, what do you think the score was for that film? I like that movie. Um, Thank you. That helps a lot. Just because... I- <laughs> That's a good movie. I was, yeah, I'm going high. <laughs> well, just for that, Rick, I'm going to take my time. Perhaps the synopsis <laughs> of Super Cop. Starring Jackie Chan, co-starring the show. <laughs> um, <clears throat> not sure what... I Really not sure what the critics saw of that one at all, but they probably didn't like it as much as Black Hawk Down. So I'm let's say... Let's say 60. All right, John? 85. Okay. Jackie, Jackie Chan was a, was a media darling at that point. 96, yeah. In 1996. Rick? I seem to recall that this one did not do very well. I'm going to say 45. All right. The correct answer is 96%. Whoa. Boom. It had an audience score of 74, but the critic score was, was uh, 96. So John wins that one. We'll go to number three, Anthony Rapp, and the film that he was in was Six Degrees of Separation. All right. Scott, what do you think the score was, the critic score was for that film? Um, I seem to recall that one doing pretty well. So let's bump that one up to, say, 82. Okay. John, what do you think? Um, I'll go higher than that, actually. Um, because it, it was it was a nice blend of star power plus art film. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to like 93. Wow, I know nothing about this movie. Um, Will Smith is in it. Say what? Oh. Will Smith is in it. <laughs> oh, okay. It was like it was his first um, really kind of major film role. Yeah. Oh. Uh, 
jinkies. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to do a, a prices right here, and and say ninety one. Well, you're the closest. It was eighty eight percent. Bastard! <laughs> I should have. I, I was thinking eighty six. All right. The next one is uh, Wilson Cruz. He was in a film in two thousand called Supernova. Scott, what do you think the critic score was for Supernova? Um, <laughs> it, not great, that much I know. Because no <laughs> one liked that movie. Um, it's got to be pretty well done. I don't want to say zero because I, I don't know that I heard. I don't, I don't know that I heard that bad about it. Um, let's say twenty. Okay, John. Can I? Uh... Get a synopsis of this film, please. Uh, yeah, you'll have to give me just a second to pull one up. Sure. I had this in my notes. I don't actually have Rotten Tomatoes pulled up. Because uh, I, I remember the title. I don't remember anything about it, and I don't think I saw it. But I'm trying to get a, <laughs> I'm try, trying to get a range of just how deep down we're, <laughs> I, I <laughs> we're diving here. I remember I was working at the video store when it uh, when it was released. <clears throat> uh, kids, if you don't know what a video store is, look it up. Um, I think there's one left somewhere. <laughs> I, I remember it starring James Spader and Angela Bassett. Is this the one with the rollerblades? Or was no, this was, a, no. this was on a on a on a on a spaceship. Yeah, it was like on a space station. I don't remember what the plot was. I don't remember what they were trying to do. My computer's being really slow. Hold on. See, that's Angela Bass and James Spader. That sounds like that should be good. But yeah, I feel that it wasn't. Supernova movie, okay. Yeah, James Spader was also in Crash. So. Crash okay, Su- Supernova is a science fiction <laughs> Oh, that Crash. Chron- Sorry. Right. Chronicles the high-stakes adventure, adventures of a deep space hospital ship and its six-member crew when their vessel, the Nightingale 229, answers an emergency Distress signal from a distant galaxy. Uh, stars Robin Tooney, James Spader, Angela Bassett, Lou Diamond Phillips, Robert Forrester, and Wilson Cruz. Okay. Given the fact that the name of their ship was the Nightingale 229, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was a terrible movie. <laughs> and so uh, taking a cue... From the designation, I will say 20 died. Okay. All right, Rick, what do you think? 17. It's actually uh, 10%, so Rick is the closest. <laughs> <to him. laughs> okay, uh, one more. So close and yet so you know far. Every call time. on Rick first. We've <laughs> <laughs> uh, got a theory Doug about Jones. This. <laughs> Doug Jones was in a film called Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer. Oh God! <laughs> Who was he? Was he? Was he the surfer? He was a silver surfer. Yeah, of course he was. So, uh, Rick, Rick, what do you think the score was for that film? Oh, uh, it was uh, <laughs> uh, hey, hey Scott, did you like that one? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it, it It was, <clears throat> let's see, it's hard to look at this without the hindsight of what came after. 
Because the first Fantastic Four movie wasn't terrible. It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. But then this one, I think, got more guffed than it really deserved. I thought it was okay. Um, uh, but the critics, I'm sure, hated it. Some, I'm going to say 30. Be generous. All right. Scott, what do you think? Uh, I, I'm kind of along the same lines as, as Rick. Um, I, neither of those first two Fantastic Four films were very good. Um, but there's definitely a lot worse. Um, I want to go with 40. All right, John, what do you think? 12. <laughs> All right. The correct answer was 37, so Scott gets a point. <laughs> oh, my God! <laughs> but Rick got three out of five, so he wins the game, and that means that the prize goes to Mary E. Freer. Yay, Mecca! Yay. We love you! So, Mary, if you're listening, I'll wait a few days and I'll post it on the uh, Facebook page that she won, but uh, if you're listening, uh, send me an email at mail at cosmicpotato.com and let me know your address and I will mail that to you as quickly as I can. All right, so before we close, uh, you guys, real quick, give me a uh, your final thoughts on Season 1 of Star Trek Discovery. Scott. Um, I loved it almost top to bottom, beginning to end. Uh, it had its low points, but every series, every season does. There's still plenty of questions remaining regarding how what we see in Discovery becomes what we see in TOS. But at this rate, they should have a decent number of seasons left in order to answer those questions for us. Okay. John? Good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you guys rehearse that, don't you? <laughs> we get that a lot. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I, um, I, I think I've probably been one of the more kind of, um, Uh, averaged out, I guess, viewers. Like, like there, there weren't any episodes that I didn't like. There were some that I thought were better than others, but even, like, the worst episodes, I still thought were pretty good episodes. Um, and if I... But there would be things in it that I didn't like for one reason or another. Um, I appreciate the, the boldness Um of them doing a season on the arc. That said, I would hope in season two I, I, that they that they do more some that they that they do again the DS9 model where they blend in some episodic along with the with the uh, with the long storyline. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I I try to go in with the same measured expectations. Anytime there, there's something that I know that I'm, I'm, I'm want to see, and um, this this uh, this did everything that I wanted it to. It did a lot of things I didn't expect it to, and it didn't really do anything criminal that I didn't want it to. So I, I am I'm definitely on board for season two. Um, 
and I look forward to signing up for CBS All Access again. <laughs> <laughs> but don't, I mean, well, I, I, I say don't. If you sign up for CBS through Amazon, you have to understand one thing. You will get the episode on time, but after Trek, you're going to have to wait until the next day. I don't know why, but after Trek never came on <clears throat> the Amazon channel last night. Well, because I, mean, I was I was uh, at where I worked third shift on Sunday night, so I was up all night and I kept going back and checking all night long. I didn't get to watch it until today. So, well, that that the Discovery is obviously it's recorded, and After Trek is live. So no, they're not doing it live anymore. After they came back from the hiatus, they realized what a bad idea that had been. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, they do it. I mean, they do it live to tape, so it's like, I mean, they do it live in the afternoon. But yeah, I mean, they 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 do it, and then they just release it. And but it's like it's supposed to be immediately. It's supposed to come out immediately after uh, Star Trek is over. So Star Trek is supposed to air from seven thirty to eight thirty. At eight thirty, and that, this is Central Time. At eight thirty, uh, After Trek is supposed to be released, but on Amazon, it never populated the the list. Mm. So, and until today, and then to this afternoon when I got home from work, I was able to watch it. So, okay, Rick, what did you think of the series? It was all right. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I, I've said this numerous times. Uh, you know, maybe I'm a bit easier to please than I was, you know, in the past. But overall, I'm a pretty harsh critic of Star Trek. Um. And, you know, something like a one-off movie, like the J.J. movies, I can find reasons to like or reasons to dislike, but it's, you know, ultimately it's two hours and I can forget about it. Um, this was 15 hours that kept me engaged pretty much the whole time. Um, I I think that it suffered a little bit from, from being a first season in that I think they, they didn't pace themselves very well. Uh, you know, the... The, the pacing of the series was very frenetic and it just couldn't be maintained and it sort of limped to a close, but not in a way that ruined it. It was just kind of a anticlimactic climax, especially after the way they finish things up in the mirror universe. Um, I love the characters and this to me is the saving grace of, of both the JJ universe and this one. And not that this one needed saving. I think, you know, there's a lot more going for it. Uh, but, you know, when you start a new Star Trek series and you see the pre, you see the uh, the the um, pre premiere promotional stuff. That's the word I'm looking for. And you you see all these actors you may have never seen before, or may have only seen in one other thing. And you're like, oh god, who is that? Who's that? How am I going to remember their names? Who who am I going to be talking about by the end? Of, you know, we don't know the names of all of the people on the bridge. Um, Ariam, I think, is the only one I can think of. And Detmer. Um, but they're all the faces are, you know, they're very familiar now. Uh, Saru and Burnham and Tyler and Lorca and Cornwell and uh, um, Tilly. Tilly, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all of these people are now friends. <clears throat> Maybe not Lorca, but still. Uh, <laughs> Jason Isaacs is, is amazing. He's just so much fun on, on social media. Um, so it's it's been a fun ride. I've there has never been a moment where I was like, oh, I am so done with this show. Um, 
there's no Neelix in the crew, which makes me very happy. Because <laughs> usually there's like one character I just can't stand, and I love everyone on this crew. Um, you know, I thought it was going to be Tilly, but she's turned out to be one of the best things ever in Star Trek. Um, oh, and Stamets also, I thought I was going to like him, but then, you know, he grows on you kind of like spores. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'll, there are people who were saying at the beginning, this isn't Star Trek. And I will grant you that what Star Trek is is kind of an ephemeral thing. It's a it's a it's a subtext. It's a feeling. It's a it's a fact that a story can be both exactly what you're looking at and metaphor and allegory. Um, I don't think they've they've banged too hard on the allegory on this one. It's been a little more straight up. What you see is what's happening, but they do slip a message in every now and then on this, and I think that. You know, the fact that this was a war story, uh, kind of, that those become the messages. And, you know, and of course the big message is, we are Starfleet. We don't do that. Mm. You know, better to die principled in who we are than to compromise that just for, the, just for survival. Now, I'm not sure if, you know, all of the women, men, women, and children on Earth who don't have a phaser rifle mm. uh, would agree with that. But it is a very Star Trek thing to do. Um, I, I loved the twists. I'd like to see a few, uh, you know, fewer of them next season because as much as I enjoyed this show, I'm exhausted <laughs> from mm. trying to keep up and, and just from being, Oh wow. Oh my God. Oh wow. And you know, and this was no different. There we go. Getting the enterprise at the end. Now it was, you know, a pleasant twist, uh, but it was still, I, I want them to stop worrying about wowing us and just start telling good stories. Um, I'm glad that they're mothballing the, the spore drive. I'm sure it's not going to stay gone for the, for the entirety, but it was, it was a little too magic-y for my liking anyway. Um, I'd like to see more character, character-driven stuff, more exploration, more what we like about Star Trek. Um, action's fine. There's nothing wrong with some action. I like a good space battle, uh, but I'd like to start getting to know these characters under "quote unquote" normal situations instead of how they behave under extreme stress. Yeah. Uh, so I've loved it. I'm in for the long haul. Uh, I can't wait to see what they do with season two. And uh, I, as a as a lifelong Star Trek fan, and I mean that literally, I cannot remember a point in my life when I didn't know about Star Trek. The first book I ever asked my mom to buy me was Star Trek III. Um, I love this show. I will continue to love this show as long as the people making it continue to love the show. And it is so clear in everything they do and everything that they say that they love Star Trek as much as we do. And as long as that's the case, I'm here for the long haul. Although it would be nice if someone else was hosting After Trek next time. <laughs> <laughs> I vote for Jason um, Isaacs. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> I can say that overall, I really love this this show. I think that this was the best first season of a Star Trek series that we've ever had. Yeah. Um, the fact that it was... I mean, the serialized format is exhausting, but the fact that it was only 15 episodes as opposed to 22 episodes kind of made up for that a little bit. And we got a we got a break in the middle, <laughs> you know. So and uh, we I felt like we learned more about these characters in those fifteen episodes than some series 
have let us learn about the characters in seven years. You know, so I'm hoping that next season we'll be allowed to learn uh, more about some of the members of the bridge crew. I'd love to say that I'd like to see Michelle Yeoh and Jason Isaacs come back, but I'm totally with it. If they don't come back, I'm just, I'm, I'm really happy with what we got because when I first heard that they were making a new Star Trek series and that it was going to be behind a paywall and all that, I was kind of nervous about it, but I think that I'm really happy with, uh, with what was delivered to me. I, I just, I hate that we're going to have to wait an entire year to see season two because they're now the season two is not supposed to start until early 2019. So it's going to, it's, it's going to be a while before we get any more. Um, but that's, uh, that's it for this. Uh, that's going to do it for this season of the simply syndicated discovery after show audience. I want to thank you for joining us here and listening to us go on and on about what we think of the show. And I want to thank, uh, all of the guests that have appeared on the show, uh, Christopher D. Philippus, Albie Burge from the Quantum Leap Podcast. Michael Jan Freeman. Check out his Kickstarter for Empty Space. Uh, Troy Wood from World War G, which is available on CosmicPotato.com. Brandon Ushio from the Fandom Podcast. Several others. All of you were appreciated. And we will return when Season 2 premieres. Um, no, we didn't. <laughs> Do, we <laughs> Do we want to? <laughs> John subtle. just sent me a note. For those of you playing at home, <laughs> John just sent me a note that said, "Did we ever talk about the spore on Tilly's shoulder?" I don't really have anything to say about the. I mean, I, I know that it's gonna have something is going to come of it. They they Aaron, said on Aaron after Trek Ek, that we'll what, hear from name? it. Yeah, Aaron, whatever his name is, said we should be. It, you know, Matt Mara was was pumping him for information on the after Trek last night. You know, trying to get him to say, what are they going to do next season? And and he, 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 you know, what's the bridge of the Enterprise going to look like and all this stuff? And he said, you should all be thinking more about that spore that landed on Tilly's shoulder. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like that's they, that's all we know about it. Yeah. <laughs> the spore. If they did something like, you know, the 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 personality of Lorca is imbued in it and it lands on Tilly or something and she starts acting more Lorca-like, that would actually be not un-Star Trek-like, but I would not enjoy that at all because it's such a hackneyed idea. So Yeah, I don't, I don't want to find out that it's the spirit of somebody. I don't want to find out that it's the spirit of Culber or anything like that because I saw somebody on one of the Trek sites saying, well, what if it's the spirit of Culber and he's going to possess Tilly and then She's going to have a relationship with Stamets. And I was like, do you know how big of a backlash the gay community would have <laughs> if they take, if they take, yeah, if they take his male lover and turn him into a woman and make him have a relationship with her? That would be a slap in the face to the gay community. They would not enjoy that at all, <laughs> and I would not blame them. But, no, um, I, I, I have no idea what to think. You know, you know, the closest I could get to any sort of thing is just high tank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Tinkerbell. <laughs> oh, I, I told him no, no. I didn't even mention it. So, uh, okay, so we'll be back when season two premieres, which is, like I said, most likely early next year. We've got a long time to wait, but you don't have to miss us. You can check us out on Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast. It's a lot like this show, 
but we talk about other stuff like Star Wars and Marvel and all that. Play some games. It's on CosmicPotato.com. We'll be doing that show lots and lots and lots between now and uh, when Discovery comes back. But Simply Syndicated has lots of shows as well that you can listen to over at SimplySyndicated.com. They've got all kinds of topics from movies to Star Trek, sports, social issues, all that kind of stuff. So go and check that out. And uh, Scott, thank you for being on the show <laughs> several several times this season. Well, I, I, I appreciate you. Forgot you. To... Never mind. I forgot the what? You forgot my new show. I, mean, I haven't got to you yet. But you did everybody else. <laughs> I haven't done anybody. I said I said Scott. <laughs> That's one person. <laughs> am, am I wrong, guys? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, on the on, on the on the board. I'm gonna mention your show when I when I thank you for being here. That's fine. Cut all about that. Okay. No, I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna let the listeners know what I gotta deal with. I just thought that John didn't like me. I just thought it was Scott. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Dick. F that guy. Uh, no, Scott, we do appreciate you being here. <laughs> I, I I appreciate you having me. Um, it, it was nice to come on. And, hey, I got to talk to Michael Jan Friedman. So I have something that I can hold over my brother, who's been a Star Trek fan for longer than I have. <laughs> and that, that, that that's a nice thing to keep in my pocket. I appreciate it. No problem. Uh, John. <laughs> can wait while we Don't say it. goodbye to Rick. <laughs> Don't you... Don't you have a uh, a new podcast that you want to plug? Uh, you know, not that you mention it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I should drink some water. Uh, yeah, I started a, a a game show on the Cosmic Potato Network called Captain Gay's Game Show. And yes, Rick, that is the title. We're sticking with it. Uh, <laughs> Gam uh, show, Captain it, Gam it should, show. It should be Gam Rick show. Ass show. show. <laughs> Rick does seem to kick a lot of ass. Um, I've started tailoring questions specifically not for him. <laughs> <laughs> What's the non-existent episode of Star Trek I'm thinking of right now, Rick? Uh, uh, but yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's trivia, it's it's wordplay, it's a little bit of improv. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the three of these guys have, have been on, and uh, I hope they enjoyed themselves. I appreciate them coming on. And uh, check it out. All Among right, and, we, and, and, and thank you for helping us out here on the after show. Your wit and wisdom and plot summaries are extremely helpful. My pleasure. And uh, Rick, thank you for co-hosting with me. It's been an honor. My pleasure, sir. I thank you for, for asking me to, to join the crew. Uh, you know, I've I I haven't mentioned it on this show, but I had kind of planned to not podcast about Discovery, uh, just to you know sort of sit back and just enjoy it as a as a as a fan. <laughs> and else. well, it it just it it seemed like everybody and their brother was going to be doing a Discovery podcast, but then when you contacted me, uh, I I couldn't not, <laughs> and I'm very glad that I that I did. I've had a great deal of fun. Um, it occurred to me after our first episode that this was but the first strictly Trek podcast I'd ever done. 
which, given my podcasting history, just floors me that I never really did one before. Uh, and it's been it's been a joy, it's been an honor and a pleasure, and I look forward to the the uh, the next season doing this again. And uh, you know, live long and prosper, y'all. <laughs> yeah, there are a thousand uh, Discovery podcasts. There's only one simply syndicated Discovery after show. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's it. I have nothing else. We will talk to you guys next season. See you in a year. Kapla. Thank you for joining us for Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. Your feedback is welcome. Leave us a comment and review on iTunes or follow us on Facebook. The views and opinions stated on this program are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of Simply Syndicated, CBS, Paramount Pictures, or their sponsors. Star Trek Discovery is owned by CBS and has no affiliation with Simply Syndicated or this podcast. No infringement of copyrighted material is intended. 